0: It's so good to see you. If this is your first time here, I uh, just want to let you know I'm Carlos, and uh, this is a safe place for you to be able to process your faith. So wherever you are on your journey of uh, spirituality, that's one of the reasons why we started this church, because anybody, um, if you've lived in Miami for any point, or wherever you're from, uh, we, want you, we wanted to create a space where you could ask the big questions about faith And about God. And today, just even as we reflect on that text, I thought about uh, this story I came across this past week of uh, Catherine Venusto. One of her greatest desires was to see her children succeed academically. And she wanted it so badly. She wanted educational success for her children that when she felt like they didn't perform at the level of her longing, she committed re-crimes. In an episode of inconceivable drive and desperation, she used her skills and experience to actually hack into the database of the school system. Why did she do this? In order to change the grades of her kids. A journalist reports that she even changed one of her son's grades from 98% to 99. What are you willing to do to pursue your greatest desires? What are your deepest needs and your longings? And what are you willing to do about them? Maybe you're not really tempted. (laughs) with breaking into high security systems so that your kids can get into a great college. Maybe that's not what you faced this morning, but perhaps you have a different set of needs. You came uh, today wanting to become a particular kind of person, perhaps, of influence with a great career and with stable relationships. And just like pretty much every human being, one of your greatest needs may be, I just want to be happy. And I want to have joy. Or you came here struggling with something in life. You've tried different things, and you're trying to figure it out. Maybe you came today with a physical ailment and there's a real need that you've struggled with for years. And you're like, man, if I could just, if I could just get this, then my life would be okay. All of us have deep longings in our hearts. Ironically, um, the more that you study the psychology, even the emotions of desire, you begin to realize that human beings actually don't know what they want. Uh, In counseling, sometimes uh, counselors will draw a, uh, I I want you to imagine right here, I'm doing this minority report thing, okay? Um, So I want you to imagine a quadrant, okay? I am a millennial. Sorry if you haven't seen that movie. So I want you to imagine four squares right here. And in counseling, sometimes it'll be like, hey, you know what? Um, In this quadrant up to your left, yeah, your top left, uh, it's a quadrant that says that you know about 25% of why you do what you do. And nobody else in this quadrant knows why you do what you do, okay? Now, in this quadrant, in this other 25%, you know why you do what you do, and then other people know why you do it. Then if you move to this quadrant right here, can you still see it? Yes? You see that quadrant right here? That's the bottom one right here. This is the top one, okay? In this bottom one right here, in this 25%, other people know why you do what you do, but you don't know why. And in this quadrant guess what? You have no clue and other people have no clue, which means you don't know why you do what you do 50% of the time. Welcome to church. (laughs) Why do we act the way we do? What what is it that we long for? Why do we act in ways to meet our needs? This is why people will will do all sorts of things to fill their longings and to find fulfillment. And they'll do things they actually don't want to do. And they'll get addicted to things they don't want to get addicted to, but they end up doing it anyways because, listen, we are creatures of desire. One of the things that we learn in this passage, and that I want to show you just as we walk through Matthew, is that Jesus actually sees more, and he has the power to meet our deepest needs. There's something that he sees in you, something that he sees in me, that we sometimes don't see ourselves. And I want to show you what that is. How does he do it? Look at verse chapter 1 in Matthew chapter 9. Look, Jesus gets into a boat. He crosses over, and he comes to his own town. You can leave the scripture up there. His own town was Capernaum, okay? He was born in Bethlehem, but when this scripture is talking about his own town, it's talking about the place where he did ministry out of. Capernaum was not in the center of the city, and I want you to remind yourself of that, that you don't need to necessarily live at the epicenter of the most influential place in the world in order to make a difference for Jesus. Amen? He chose Capernaum. He didn't choose Rome. He didn't choose Jerusalem. He chose Kendall. Okay? So, (laughs) verse (laughs) 2. I'm kidding. (laughs) I just moved there. That's why, you know. My God encouraged me. All right, cool. Verse 2. Just then, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. And this is such an interesting phrase. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus has the power to meet our deepest needs. How does he do it? Well, listen, number one, if you're taking down notes, I want to encourage you to write this down. Jesus has the power to see our faith. Mm -hmm. Jesus has the power to see our faith. In this story, I can only imagine how the friends of this paralytic were feeling Maybe they were tired of seeing a friend in pain. Have you been in that situation where you have a loved one or somebody close to you that's in incredible amounts of pain and anguish? And they've tried all of these kinds of different things. Listen, the friends here, uh, we don't know exactly why the paralytic was in this condition. But what we do know is that he was not driving this initiative. It was not up to him. In fact, the paralytic may have been dealing with such an overwhelming sense of discouragement. Maybe he was so, uh, maybe he was so hopeless and dealing with uh, such sense of loss that he didn't have the audacity to ask somebody to bring him to Jesus. And maybe that's how some of us may feel this morning. You can kind of feel like the paralytic and you don't have the emotional energy to do this all over again. Maybe you've been so disappointed in life that you're just not sure that you want to come to Jesus. I don't know if it's worth it to come to church this morning. Like You just don't have the energy and perhaps you were hurt at some point by the church or by Christians or by something that happened in your life. Maybe it's actually a physical ailment. you've prayed and you have wept and you have asked and you've taken steps but you find yourself here in the same place you've seen terrible things in the world maybe it's happened actually with your family where you've seen some tragedy the evil of this world that has an effect on our hearts and maybe you've suffered so much or you've your family has suffered so much that it's kind of fractured your faith in the same way that it fractured the faith of the paralytic. And you feel like you can't just go to Jesus. And when Jesus sees the paralytic, what he says to him, I think it's, it's so powerful. It's so, it's so incisive. He says, have courage, son. Have courage. Take heart. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you may not have faith today, but your friends have brought enough faith for you. The paralytic's friends were so committed to this man and to God that in desperation, they brought him to Jesus. What we know from this account also in the gospel of Mark is that they were so desperate that they got on top of a roof, and this would have taken a lot of time, and they opened up a hole, and they literally dropped them at the feet of Jesus. They were so desperate. They would do anything to bring them to Jesus. See, some people are so motivated by a desperate situation that they'll do anything in that particular moment in order to meet their needs. It reminds me of the story of a famous paratrooper who um, he was speaking to a group of young recruits. And when he had finished his talk and he asked for questions, one young man, he raised his hand and he asked, The paratrooper, he said this, what made you decide to make the first jump? And the paratrooper's answer was quick and to the point. He said, an airplane at 20,000 feet with three dead engines. That's desperation. Are we desperate enough to come, not only ourselves to Jesus, but to bring somebody else there? It's incredible that Matthew says that Jesus sees their faith, their faith. It wasn't the paralytic's faith. It was their friend's faith. Perhaps that's what some of us need to do today. You may know of a friend, of a person that you know who is discouraged, and maybe you've given kind of hope on them. And what you, when you see this text, what it spurs you to do, and I'm like, man, God, give me enough faith to bring them to Jesus. Maybe you saw them and they were discouraged, and what you need to do today is you need to bring them to Jesus. And they're sick, or they haven't been healed, or something's happened in their life that they haven't had a breakthrough. And you oh like, God, help me to bring my friends, my companions, my co-workers, my family members that I don't think about anymore, help me to bring them to you because I have faith. Maybe that's how you feel today. You don't have faith, and we want to let you know we came here today. We want to encourage you. We have faith for you. If that is who you are and you're discouraged today and you don't know, like, man, I don't even know why I got here today. I just got out of here by sheer discipline. Listen to me. Listen to me. There are some of us here who have been praying for you, and we have faith for you because we believe in a God who's powerful, who can see faith. You see, faith isn't a feeling. Faith isn't just like you woke up this morning and I'm like, man, I'm really feeling it today. I'm going to like invite some people and I'm going to like really believe in God today. No, faith is believing that God is who he says that he is. Faith is believing that God is who he says that he is to the point where it produces action. To the point where it produces action. Jesus sees their faith. I pray, listen, I pray that God would increase our faith here at reality to such a point. And who he is and what he said he was going to do so that we as a church can live out our mission. Our mission is to, like we exist, to lead people to discover and display the reality of Jesus. Man, if you want to see your faith increase, why don't you just lift up your hand right now? God, increase my faith. Increase my faith. I want that. God, would you give me a hunger for you? God, would you, would you help me to connect with you as I read the pages of the Bible? Please, God, I, I want to follow you. I want to hear from you. I want to live in the way that you have called me to live. Jesus, listen, he sees What nobody else can see, he sees their faith. And so he tells a paralytic, look at this verse, have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And maybe his friends are like, we came here for his legs. (laughs) What do you mean my sins are forgiven? That's not what we came isn't my most urgent need the problem of my paralysis? You can write this down as number two. Jesus has the power to see not only our faith. He has the power to see our sin. He makes the invisible like it's visible to him. Jesus sees a deeper problem in the paralytic in that moment as much as this was extremely painful for him, as much as this impoverished his life, he saw also that there was a deeper disease inside of his life. It shows us his sinfulness. And maybe you're here and you're like, oh, sin. What does that even mean? I've heard it before. Maybe, uh, maybe you've heard sin and you're kind of just like, oh, I'm, just, I'm just numb to that word. Have you ever been there? Like you hear the word sin and you're like, okay, what does that even mean? Like it creates no emotion in you. Well, I want to talk about this for a little bit and I need you to lean in because I've never, I've talked, I've shared on things like secularism before, but I want to do just a little bit more of a deep dive today in this because sin, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal. It sounds a lot, Carlos, maybe like thoughts and prayers. Thank you so much. Is it, is it just that simple? What's the big deal about sin? Well, there's a guy by the name of Carl Menninger who, um, he delivered this lecture um, in Princeton in the 1960s, and he talked about how the concept of sin was disappearing from the modern mind. It's like disappearing. He says this, preaching, pastoral counseling, and prayer, this has now been replaced with technology, medicine, and counseling. John Tyson said this, people don't come to the priests to confess. We confess to therapists and they tell us it's not our fault. Now I want you to know, I believe in counseling and this is a generalized quote, but I think there's a lot of truth there. What happens in our modern mind is people now see sin, not as something that we should be punished for, but rather something for which we ought to be treated. That's the product of the ideology of secularism, okay? Now, that term secular, anybody know what that means? It comes from the Latin word seculum, which means world. That's where the term secularism comes from. It comes from the word seculum, which means world. And it's best defined as an ideology which reduces our framework for seeing reality only to the categories of this world. So um, if you are a, quote-unquote, secular citizen, you don't recognize anything that is outside of the framework of what you can see in this present reality. Got it? I'm going to give you some examples. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, This section over here. Um, You need me to explain that again? Cool. Check this out. Secularism is an ideology which frames everything by just essentially looking at the world Nothing outside of it exists. I'm going to give you some examples um, of that. Like if you are a secular citizen, you don't really recognize a created order, or it doesn't really matter to you. God is not a convenient hypothesis. There's no alternative version of reality except what you can see today. So a person who just lives in this world, mostly, like if you grew up here in the United States and in the West, Most likely, you are a secular person unless you've trusted in Jesus Christ and you're working to be formed into the image of God. But what happens is you don't have to be a philosopher in order to be a secularist. Simply, you just base your belief on what you experience. Your highest truth may be very pragmatic. It's about how you feel. It's about survival. It's about power. It's about pleasure. Even if these things are unconscious, that's what matters to you. You came here today and you want to feel good. And that may be your highest form of truth. In that kind of worldview, listen, there is no place for sin for this concept. So when I say, Jesus said that you're forgiven, you're like, Okay. (laughs) Because we've been swimming in these waters, we feel no guilt. We don't really see our sin. It has disappeared. It's like evil is not a theological problem. It's become an institutional problem. What we need is intelligent human action and not theological understanding. Let me give you a quote that helps to explain this. This is from a guy called Kevin Van Hooser. He says this, Medicine is perhaps the best example of how trust and faith have been secularized. The modern day equivalent to the cathedral is the hospital. The white robed doctor has replaced the priest as the mediator of salvation. And instead of bread and wine, the new sacrament is Valium and other drugs. In drugs is our hope and salvation. Death is still the enemy. But the new savior is technology. Once again, um, I believe in counseling. And if you ask me to give you a theological reason why people can take uh, drugs to help their brain, I can give you one because the brain is an organ. At the same time, in our context, We have reduced sin, this concept, just to biology. We've reduced it to psychology. Sometimes it's technological, but it's not spiritual. So is it possible that the reason why you don't even flinch at the concept of sin, at transgressing the law of God, is because you don't see yourself as a sinner. You just see yourself as somebody who you know, maybe needs some biological help. Maybe you've never questioned it. Maybe you've never thought about it. But when you look at this passage, what you see is that Jesus sees much deeper than that. He sees much deeper than that. You see, Jesus believes that you and I, human beings, are made in the image of God and that there's more to you than a collection of atoms that form a biological person. He believes that you're also a spiritual person. That God gave you a body and a soul. And human beings, this is the reality. We've sinned. We have lied. We have stolen. We've done things that deny the created order of God. Like in the Bible, what you read is that we've offended him. We have pride. We have greed. And if you don't see that in humanity, just turn on the news. If you can't see that in yourself, maybe the problem is actually self-righteousness. Because you're not as bad as those people. All of us have sinned, says the word, and there's actual consequences for sin. Romans says that the wages of sin is death. It's death and separation from God. Why does Jesus care so much about this? The most important thing that he sees in the paralytic's life is that he has a right relationship with God. He's desperate to be healed, but Jesus He's even more desperate to see the paralytic restored to God. And he's desperate for you to be restored to him. This is the constant theme in Jesus' ministry. Guess what? In this passage, he still heals them. Jesus is about holistic healing. People yearn for physical relief to their pain, and Jesus yearns for that. But in almost a frantic way, so much more that they would be restored to God. So here's a question for you. What do you think the greatest need of your life is? And what if your greatest need is different from your most pressing desire? What if the greatest, most pressing need of your life is actually forgiveness? It's forgiveness. Maybe you're here and you're suffering and that strikes you as insensitive. Maybe you've been here today and you've recently been wronged. And you say, how dare you say I need forgiveness? This is what I've struggled with. And this person wronged me. And I'm struggling with that, but it seems insensitive for you to say that I need forgiveness too, even though I haven't, I've been the one that's been wrong. And you're partially right. But the wisdom of Jesus, listen, it's very practical. If you've been really wronged, what you need most is a way to forgive those who have wronged you so that you can actually experience freedom. And guess what? You can't ever forgive highness wrongs unless you experience forgiveness yourself. Embracing forgiveness from God enables you to forgive other people, man. It may be true that you've been wrong, but it's also true that all of us in this text, man, we know we've wronged God far more than anyone has ever wronged us. When we realize that and when we humble ourselves to know that, it gives us the power to forgive other people. And I don't know like where everyone is this morning, you, 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 know, you may think your greatest need right now is a car, and I pray that God will provide a car for you. You need transportation, especially in the 305. Amen? Yeah. You may need a job, right, because inflation or a spouse. Or you're like, no, I need a different spouse. I'm like, okay. You need a better roommate. You need healing from cancer. You, we come here with needs. What you need most, though, Jesus says, is forgiveness. You need forgiveness from sin, he says. Listen, the good news is that that's why Jesus came? That's why Jesus came. That's why he first offers forgiveness. To a lame man lying before him in a stretcher before healing his legs. And that's why ultimately this trajectory of Jesus' life is toward the cross. Because his main purpose on earth was not just to be here and be a good moral teacher or to perform miracles. His main purpose was to go to the cross to pay for the price of your sin. Romans says, right, the wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus dies on the cross. He takes on the guilt that you and I experienced. He takes on the guilt and the shame that we experience. He bears it on that cross. He purchases it for you so that he could say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. And guess what? He can say it to you too. That's why Jesus goes to the cross, and that's why we can experience freedom from our greatest need. So he sees the paralytic's sinfulness. But watch what happens in the following verses. In verse 3, at this, some of the scribes said to themselves, he's blaspheming. They said it to themselves. That's why they say, he's blaspheming. That's why it was low. Okay, they turned around to each other, you know. They're murmuring. And once again, Jesus sees (laughs) so much deeper, perceiving their thoughts. It's like, you can't get away from me. (laughs) I see you. Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? Wherever you are, listen today. (laughs) Here's an encouraging and a scary truth. Jesus sees your thoughts right now. He can perceive them. The beautiful thing is that even though he perceives them and he sees them, he dies for them. He encourages us to come to him with who we are. He knows of your sinfulness, and yet he can still say to you, have courage. Have courage. The reason they call out blasphemy is because these scribes who were the learned men of their day, we learned this last week, um, they were like the intellectual capital of um, Israel. They understood the Old Testament law, and they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus is it's just another man. So it's blasphemy because only God can forgive sins. Jesus is like, Yes, that's right. So Jesus has the power to see sin in our hearts. But then, number three, listen Jesus' power produces transformation and awe. Look at verse number five. Jesus responds to them. He says, Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I don't want you to miss it. That's the key right there. This is about power and authority. Then he told the paralytic, Get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So he got up and he went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck. And gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. Something happens when people experience the power and the presence of God. Jesus gives the scribes, uh, you know, this bit of a riddle. A riddle. riddle. Did you see the ESL coming through, Gus? (laughs) I saw that. That's my Venezuelan coming through right there, man. It's incredible, dude. Sleep deprivation. Okay, cool. Um... He gives him this riddle. What's easier to say? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But it's not easy to do. Because you can't see inside of a person's heart, you don't really know their future. So anybody can say, hey, man, your sins are forgiven. People are like, okay, cool. Amazing, dude, you're awesome. But there was this rabbinical tradition back in the day. It was written in the Talmud. That God would never bless a liar. So Jesus is leaning on that tradition. And so he says, listen, if I'm right about this healing, then you're going to have to admit that I'm right about this other thing, the forgiveness of sin. So what does he do? He demonstrates his power and authority to heal a person, to demonstrate, listen, I'm not just a man. I am God. And when the people see the paralytic get up and walk, here's what's incredible. They probably thought that the greatest work was Jesus actually healing this man. When his greatest need at the end of the day, really, his deepest need was to actually be forgiven of his sin. And Jesus didn't just say this. He actually pays for his forgiveness with his life. So, what does it produce then in the people around him? It says right there they they were they were awestruck. There was a sense of fear, like like that's part of the word there, right? It's like whoa, who is this man? That's how we react in the presence of God. They they recognize the hand of God in everything, and they glorify him, and they see that he has this power to raise the man from his bed. He's not human, and they recognize that he has authority and the power to transform and to create all. I love this. I read this from a scholar this past week. It says, Jesus is signaling something here. The only reason Jesus can tell this man to get up is because one day Jesus will lay down in death to purchase his forgiveness. And that's what Jesus does for you and for me today. And so here's what I'm praying for um, this morning. I'm praying that you would gain a, a sensibility in your heart for what your greatest need is in this morning. That even though in our minds have been shaped, we already know this, that the world that we swim in, everything that it communicates, most of what it communicates, is that this is not really a need for you. Sin is not really a big problem for you. But Jesus comes into the scene and he says, actually, this is reality. This is your deepest problem. And this is the problem that I came here to deal with. And if you would embrace that, what happens is you're going to embrace my forgiveness and my kingdom and my promise for you and my purpose for you and the future that I have for you. When you are able to humble yourself and see that, whoa, hold on a second. There's things that I've done. Actually, there is a God, and that God uh, is Jesus, and he saw me in my sin, and he's not just calling me out for the sake of calling me out, but he's calling me out because he loves me, and he wants to restore my relationship with him. When you embrace that, then he has the power to transform your life, and it creates a sense of awe. Amen. Listen, I'll leave you with this. In the next 10 minutes, okay? So um, here's a story. <laughs> I saw my notes and I'm like, actually, I have a lot left. No. Um, here's a story of a paralytic who stood to the glory of God. Her name is Joni. And she writes this I hope in some way I can take my wheelchair to heaven with my new glorified body. I will stand up on resurrected legs and I will be next to the Lord Jesus. And I will feel those nail prints in his hands and I will say, thank you, Jesus. He will know I mean it because he will recognize me from the inner sanctum of sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. He will see that I was one who identified with him in the sharing of his sufferings. So my gratitude Will not be hollow. And then I will say, Lord Jesus, do you see that wheelchair over there? Well, you were right. When you put me in it, it was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I do not think I would ever have known the glory of your grace were it not for the weakness of that wheelchair so thank you lord jesus for that and now if you like you can send that thing off to hell <laughs> listen one day paralysis will be no more one day pain will be no more One day, starvation and trafficking will be no more. One day, death itself will be no more for Jesus, the forgiven, the one who forgives our sins. He's going to return, and he's going to raise our bodies to be like his body. This is the promise of of Jesus Christ for those who trust in him. Jesus has the power to meet our deepest need. So listen, if you're here today and you, you sense that this is true, that your deepest need, is not just wrapped up in your desire for other things that are valid. But that your deepest need is forgiveness from sin. I want to give you an opportunity to trust in Jesus this morning. And to receive that forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. God, for your grace and the courage that you give to each of us. Thank you for the words that you told the paralytic. Have courage. God, so many of us in this place, we need courage today, Lord. Courage to face this world. Courage to face reality. Courage to be able to live as you've called us to live. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would fill this room with courage. Come, Holy Spirit, make yourself known in this place, Lord. Just in this moment of prayer, I want to ask you, if you're here and you would say, Carlos, man, I'd love to be forgiven of my sin and I want to receive Jesus and I want to receive his grace. Wherever you are, if you'd like, man, you know what? I just want somebody to pray with me, to pray for me today. Why don't you just lift up your hand, so I can see it and pray for you? I see you. I see you. God bless you. Maybe you're here also, and there's something in you. Uh, there's some of you who, man, you 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 want to ask the Lord to increase your faith. If that's you, and you. You just want more faith. Why don't you just lift up your hand so we can pray together? The faith to bring your friends. The faith to encourage those around you. I see all of those hands. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to pray for the first group of people. Those of you who raised your hand this morning. I want to let you know God sees you. God loves you. He knows what your deepest need is. And he was willing to go to the cross to put an end. To the separation that you have between God and yourself. And if that's you listening, why don't you just tell him this this morning? Why, why don't you tell him right now, God, I, I want to be forgiven of my sin. I thank you, Lord, for your grace. Please, God, help me to walk with you, Lord. Help me to be obedient to you. I pray that you would transform my life and fill me with awe in wonder ask him right there holy spirit change me i want a relationship with you lord i commit my life to you in jesus name amen amen i want to pray for those of you also would you just lift up your hand And you, you want to pray for more faith god i i pray right now lord please god that you would move in power in our lives create a hunger in us, Lord Father. I pray that we would have courage to pursue you over and over again. I pray that you would fill this room with perseverance, Lord, in our lives, Lord Father. If we've been disappointed, we come again to you, Lord Father. We knock, we ask, we seek, Lord Father, for you to be able to move in power, Lord. Help me, God. Help us, to live on mission for you, to love you, to delight in you, to enjoy you. Keep us from sin, Lord Father, and increase our faith to see you move in a powerful way in our lives and in the lives of those around us. For we ask you these things, Lord, by faith today, Lord, by faith, Lord, we come to you. It's in Jesus' name that we For those who prayed uh, this morning, here's what we're going to do in just a moment. We're going to worship, we're going to sing. I want to encourage you to stay in this moment to worship the Lord, that if there's sins that need to be confessed, that you confess them out to the Lord when you're worshiping. If there's questions that you have, you could just ask God. If there's things that you need to pray about today that that you haven't had the courage to pray about because you've been discouraged, I pray that today you would be filled up with courage and you would bring that up to the Lord. But of course, first and foremost, it says that in heaven, right? Heaven is rejoicing over one sinner who repents that over 99 who just stay essentially in the house. And so we're going to rejoice for those this morning that gave their lives to Christ, that made that commitment. Come on, let them know it right now. Praise God. We praise God for you. I want to encourage you today in this moment, if you made that commitment, listen, you have a connect card, right? That, that I don't know if you received it today. We may have one in the Welcome Center. I want to encourage you to fill that out so that we can connect with you and just help you take a next step. Just like when those of us who were not committed to Jesus, guess what? We needed the same thing, to be able to just take one step in our journey with Jesus. Let's stand up, man, if you're able to, and let's sing, let's pray, let's worship Jesus' Father. We praise you, Lord, in this place. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.